1: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic Pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm
0: Kristen soltis Sanderson, Republican Pollster with Echelon Insights. And
1: each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture.
0: This is the end. We're just about here. <laughs> Hooray It's never over. Why do you think it's gonna be over? Uh, well that's silly. No, I no. know. There will still be recounts oh, and there no, may no. be runoffs.
1: I mean there's still gonna be things, but we are in the last week of this is we're recording on Wednesday. We're in the last week of the thing, which is-
0: Next week you can find us the day after the election. Yeah. I may or may not have another corona tall boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and be losing my mind yes. in real time on this show. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, it will be a
1: different time uh, of day, but it we might and presumably
0: Hopefully, less surprising from a polling perspective. Yeah, I would like for the polls to be right. I mean, regardless of how I feel about what that would mean for the election results themselves, I would like for the polling industry to not be shamed again. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be real nice. Um, So how how was your week? Are you excited for Halloween?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it was if there wasn't an election happening a week from now, we would be talking about the bodyguard, the new BBC. Yeah, show, I was on my way home from Florida, Halloween candy, and... and that would be it. That'd be
0: the only thing. <laughs> I we're have an email about. from Margie. I'm about to board a plane, and she's like, "We can't tape next week's show <laughs> until you watch this thing called the Bodyguard on Netflix. Right, not the it's Whitney a, Houston
1: one. The BBC it one. Is,
0: the best way I can describe it. Is it is House of Cards meets 24, but British." And starring Rob Stark. I mean, it, it like... But
1: lots of characters are women. I mean, that's yes. the thing that's very... Uh, that is one of the things that's very unique. about anyway, folks, just if you are planning your post-election binge television, you should add that to your list. And so I was thinking... About, well, I've been thinking about the show, and I was like... I need to talk about this with Kristen. I'm like, well, I, why? I don't have to wait till Wednesday. I should email her now so she is ready. But anyway, we walked over here from something else. So we did talk about it probably more than we and should right And I haven't finished. Right now. I have two yes. episodes
0: left. So you guys
1: are not here to hear us talk about a show that you've never heard of. No, that Kristen hasn't finished yet. No,
0: but, but you know what? <laughs> I don't think the other. So the other thing, this is like just shows how much of this election has like seeped into my brain. So I had a crazy dream last night that like. I Like, I was hanging out with Margie and her kids, and she had taught them a song that was, like, the Animaniacs song about the countries, except instead of the countries, it was Swing Districts. <laughs> so, like, I tried to recreate this song on Twitter very briefly, but, like, of, as as all dreams are, it has now gone away. I don't know the lyrics, but it was, like... Yeah, I mean, the, the Animaniacs <laughs> one is the like the United States, Canada, da, 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 and he names all the countries in the world. And here it was like,
1: I didn't know what that was. But yes, there's
0: Kaufman and Comstock and Yoder and Young and Paulson and Washington. eight you've got Walters and Hunter and Denim and Neid and Roebuck, R&CA. Like, and it's just you and it went through all That's the swing good. districts. And I was like, my brain is broken.
1: Broken. Yeah. I mean, that is such a pure <laughs> G-rated dream compared to the like. <laughs> like all the dysfunction and violence in my, my like, pre-election dreams which are just about like
0: res- yours are more like the purge
1: <laughs> they're just they're they they reflect more dark state of affairs I think then you're in a maniac swing district thing
0: <laughs> I do want someone to write this song though and Twitter, I wish I could listeners. teach my children
1: like something impart some desire to be interested in politics so maybe that's a good idea although I did you know try to bribe one of my children to kind of sit with me by watching some political television ads on, on YouTube and she just looked at the stuff on the side of the YouTube and she was like can I look, watch the one with the man falling down instead <laughs> Like Okay. (laughs) You don't want to watch the these two different versions of the same ad and see what you think? No. Anyway, okay, what are the top lines of what's going on?
0: It's the final countdown. Are we allowed to
1: do that, Richard? I I was singing it, so
0: it's a cover. This is how we get around the copyright (laughs) issue. Sure. Um, Also, can you copyright just the guitar riff, if I am just singing the guitar riff? I think those guys
1: would argue that the whole song, the reason that anybody knows anything about them, is from (laughs) that.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, We're going to talk on today's show about polling on voting access and how easy it is to vote, and we'll take a look at who intends to vote. Will millennials play a big role? And then how will they vote? We will look at the attitudes toward the president. We will look at the generic ballot. We will look at house race ratings. And finally, we will end up on a little bit of Halloween polling. What is the most popular Halloween costume kids are Googling for this year? The answer may surprise you, but probably not if you have a young child slash teenager in your household. Yes. Then it won't surprise you. Yes. So
1: first – I guess this is our poll of the week. We're going to start, I mean, one way, I mean, look, it's pretty divided and and tense, obviously, but perhaps we can find, we can try to glean from some of the polls this week as we head into the election, some places where there's some consensus or opportunities for consensus. We try here to find ways Democrats and Republicans can work together or have some common ideas or goals or aspirations. And, Maybe we can find that from this Pew poll on elections and voting. I mean, we've seen this in Pew before where they have asked about what are the, you know, characteristics of a democracy and having free and fair elections was this very universal characteristic of a democracy. Um, Yet there's still some differences between the parties and their views toward elections, which obviously is important right now because you have a lot of folks talking about turnout. It's... And vote suppression and whether or not it should be easier or harder for people to vote, this is something that's come up in a lot of governor's races in particular. So I think this is a little bit top of mind. And also the validity and, you know, whether or not people trust the elections. So Pew finds that Americans are not particularly confident that our systems are secure from hacking, which I think is, you know, that seems pretty sad. They have, you know, it's... S- slightly more than half feel not confident in how they feel about the country's elections. Although people two thirds are confident about their own state's elections, that confidence, that any confidence that people do have, is pretty slight. There's not a lot of intensity in that confidence. P- I mean, two thirds say it's feel that it's likely that Russia or other foreign governments will attempt to influence the congressional elections. Now that's attempt that's not be successful, but still, those are pretty high numbers. I mean. So that's something that's worrying. And then they also ask a lot of questions about views toward different types of voting laws and look at the party differences there. And there you see some things where there are pretty wide differences, but some policies where there are not wide differences. So what do you think when you look at the totality of this? Is this like half glass half full Glass half empty.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm like on the question of how do I feel about voters being only kind of confident that voters will be counted – votes will be counted um, as intended. Like on the one hand, I don't want everybody to be like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's great. There's no problem because there are real – Threats. On the other hand, you don't want too many people – you don't want people to be too convinced that like, oh, well, the voting machines are all hacked because that depresses voter turnout if people think that they uh, – that their vote's not going to really count. Right. So who, why bother? So it's like you don't want the number to be too low, but you don't want the number to be too high. Like it's good in a democracy for people to have a healthy skepticism right. and, and a little concern about it, but you don't want it to be –
1: well, it's not even just that it suppresses turnout, but does it make people feel like, I mean, it's not just that it suppresses turnout, but does it make people feel like this doesn't, you know, none of it matters. I can't believe the results. If my party doesn't win, then this is all just, you know, tampered garbage. Um, And I think that's one of the challenges. I mean, it also, I think to me, shows that there's some real... I mean, these things that we have taken for granted as Americans, that people trust that the – you know, that voting – people vote the way – you know, the votes are counted the way people intend them, that our elections are fair, that the transfer of power is peaceful, that, you know, people who lose concede, which is not obviously a question here, but just that sense that, you know, these things sort of work in a steady process – some of these numbers are a little worrying that perhaps people don't feel that that's the case. And which comes first, this feeling or that actually being true or is this a perception becomes reality or or what? And so that that's worrying. And then when you look at the... I tried to see glass half full on some of these different voting proposals. Do you favor or oppose a variety? There are a lot of-
0: where there's there's a lot of overlap. Like, you know, you have 84 percent of Republicans, 90 percent of Democrats think, yeah, automatically updating people's voter registration when they move. Like that mm-hmm. seems common sense, right? It's not it's just saying we're just trying to keep more accurate records. It's right. not saying you can or can't vote or anything like that. Um, requiring electronic voting machines to print a paper backup of the ballot. That one's 84% of Republicans, 87% of Democrats think. The, the differences really emerge not on the question of like how do you ensure that votes, votes that have been cast are being counted accurately, but on questions of like who – how easy is it to vote? And so on something like allowing people to register on election day at the polls, I mean almost half of Republicans say they support that, but 78% of Democrats support it. Big – kind of a big gap there. Automatic registration – of Republicans support it, but 78% of Democrats support it. So bigger gaps on the like, hey, we're going to, you know, get you into the system, make it super easy. But once you're in the system, then like the gap closes on ease of updating data and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And so then there's another question. I think, and this this one is in the script, but it kind of goes at the bigger picture of the values that... This reflects. And so they have this kind of forced choice question that is not a proposal, but just the broader sense citizens should have to prove they want to vote by registering ahead of time, or everything possible should be done to make it easy for every citizen to vote. That's one question. And they have another one changing rules to make it easier to vote would make elections less secure, or making it easier to vote would not make elections less secure. So these are just like capturing the kind of the big. Overarching views that people have toward making elections easier or harder to participate in. And there you do see much wider party differences than perhaps some of these individual proposals. And if you look at the first one, should you have to prove by registering ahead of time or everything should be done to make it easy for people to vote. 84% of Democrats agree with that latter one and everything should be done to make it easier. Republicans are evenly divided, basically 50-50 between those two things. It's probably a little bit more lopsided on the other one. Changing the rules makes elections less secure. Making it easier to vote would not make them less secure. Then you have almost 60 percent of Republicans say it would make elections less secure. Almost, you know, a little over three-fourths of Democrats say it would not make elections less secure. I mean, I think this is going to be a real challenge going forward and— How much of it is an actual worry about the elections not being secure, whether that's grounded in fact or whether it's not is a separate issue? And how much of it is because it puts my party at a disadvantage? You know, how much of it is that? What What? who benefits on the Democratic side? We have this broader, you know, we'd like to think that we want more people to be included in democracy. That's sort of part of our platform and brand. Now, at the same time, obviously when there's larger turnout and more people participate, that often helps democratic chances. And so how do people separate what helps their the political advantage of their party versus what they actually believe? How do you separate those or are they or is that impossible? Those things are one and the same. But this, you know, I worry about whether or not people, you know, are are equally Invest in protecting the right to vote as a right, as opposed to treating it as you know a privilege that not everybody gets to have.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. I, I like questions that ask things that sort of force these trade-offs, right? That, like, in order to have a an environment where as many people as possible who are sh- you know who have the should have who have the right to vote to be able to have the right to vote, you know, the trade-off there is, you know, do you do you make it so that it is easy? And we know that voter fraud is extraordinarily right. rare. Like every study shows right. that. Um, but it's not wrong to think like, okay, well, you know, you there are trade-offs here. And so I value this one thing more than the minuscule risk of the other right. thing, vice versa. Right. But but asking people in the context of trade-offs, I always love questions that do that. Right.
1: And the sep- I mean, the, the other layer to this is, The studies show that voter fraud is rare. That's not, I think, what some of the people who worry about voter fraud think. They don't think that it's rare. Perhaps they've seen news coverage suggesting it is not rare. It is more common than it actually is. So does that change people's thinking? And do you have to then kind of unpack that? And and, and all that sort of beyond this study and, you know, a topic for another day. But it, it is part of what it is part of the complication here. Are we talking about simply the right? Should voting be easier or harder to do? Is it a right or is it a privilege? Is it a privilege you have to demonstrate a variety of things in order to get to do it? Or is it a right that we want to make it easy for everyone to do through all kinds of different you know, ways to lower the bar to make it easier for people to participate or lower the various obstacles and challenges? So it's something to think about because it will for sure be a topic no matter what happens on election day, in a lot of different states, where people are spending a lot of you know a lot of time talking about this, there's more early voting um, in a lot of states. There's an increase in early voting, I think, in a variety of states. Folks should go to Target Smart. They have a cool tool where you could see how early voting has been progressing in your state. If you're listening to this before election day, if you're listening after election day, maybe it's less interesting, but um, but you can follow along each state. They even have a map of where all the early voting is coming from in each state. It's very cool. So folks should check that out. That's, you know, you can see that there's been an increase in more participation early. OK, so millennials.
0: Millennials. So let's talk about this for a little bit. So I feel like we've we've had a lot of polling that's like, no, really, guys, young voters are going to turn out in big numbers this year. And I, I feel like I hear that a lot and it doesn't always pan out like a lot of these youth polls are like, this is the year that you right. vote. And I've been guilty of be- of like trumpeting this. Right. But maybe this time, really, is it? Um, So, you know, we've talked a little bit about the circle polling, I think, two or three weeks ago. The Tufts University, I believe we we touched on it briefly. So the Harvard IOP has their fall poll out. They show 40% of 18 to 29-year-olds say they are likely to vote uh, this year. Um, It's an an increase of three points from the spring 2018 poll. So not huge. The difference is that... If you look at Democrats versus Republicans compared to the last midterm – so I pulled up their the executive summary of their poll from 2014, which was when I was up there um, as as a fellow. Uh, They say this year they have about – in their poll they had about 26 to 27 percent saying they were probably going to vote. Um, And it was more likely back then that young Republicans said they were more likely to vote. Uh, The margin there, let's see, you actually in their poll, they had like a slim uh, Republican control, like pro-Republican generic ballot. I mean, and that was a good midterm for Republicans. So it was not wrong. But it it really showed that like – they suggested you know, young Republicans, 42 percent of them said they were likely to vote. Only 30 percent of young Democrats said they were likely to vote. Fast forward to today, the Republican number is about the same. You have 43 percent of young Republicans saying they're going to vote, but the Democrat number, it was 30 in 2014. It's 54 now. So that's something. Yeah. That's a That's a thing. That is a thing.
1: <laughs> right. That is a thing. Unless there's some new thing, which, you know, Democrats are now far more likely to say they're engaged than Republicans are. That, but that doesn't translate into votes. Who knows? That's we don't know that. But, you know, actual participation looking at the census is around a fifth, around 21% in these past midterms. So, we know or I guess we don't know. We assume, I think correctly, that there's going to be a surge in turnout compared to previous midterms. I think that's something we all feel fairly confident
0: Everybody's tuned in.
1: in saying we just don't know exactly who or where it's going to be higher or lower or what the composition will be, but that, you know, or how much higher, etc. But it does seem all Indicators suggest that there's gonna be more turnout this cycle than previous midterms. Midterm turnout is obviously lower than presidential turnout. Now, the question is, is how does this 40% compare? So it's, you know, not all that 40% is gonna vote, but so what's the, how does the 40% compare to what actual turnout will be with this population? Well and we in the past, the I mean
0: the actual turnout lags behind the polls. Right. But they but they move in tandem. Yes. So even though it would stun me if forty percent of young voters actually did turn out, if twice as many young voters turn out this time as they did four years ago, that's huge, yeah. even if it's not approaching right. the turnout levels you see among senior citizens. The right. other thing exactly. that's noteworthy. And
1: it may it's not going to be everybody who says they're likely to vote, but even if it's you know, One and a half times what's voted in the past. It's still a lot.
0: Yep. Um, And then uh, the generic ballot among young people. So back in 2010, good year for Republicans, but Republicans lost the generic ballot among young people in Harvard's polling by 12 points then. In 2014, they won the generic ballot by four points, which was – Surprising. I was in the middle of writing the selfie vote when that came out. I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Hmm. Um, The generic ballot now is D plus 34. That is like the margin that Barack Obama won young voters by over John McCain. That is like an eye-popping figure. Now, it's not as dramatic as what they found in the spring. In the spring, it was D plus 41. So things have slightly improved for Republicans, in part because young Republicans now say they're more likely to vote than they were back in the spring. Right. But still, like, whew. That is huge. So not only will turnout likely be higher, but it will be much more Democratic.
1: Wow. Now, did they ask – I don't know this. Maybe you know. Um, did they say which party would you prefer to call, uh, control Congress, Democrats or Republicans? Or did they say who are you going to vote for, the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate for Congress?
0: Um, it looks like the way, it looks like they ask about uh, control of Congress, not the individual candidate. Yeah. So which could make a difference as we talked about with Allie and Liesel on our episode – was that like a week ago? Yeah. Oh time is such a blur. Yes. So anyhow, that is uh that's the youth vote update. And you've also got um NBC Gen Forward. They are showing 31% of millennials saying they will definitely vote. Another 26% saying probably. Uh and for these millennial likely voters, what they care about most is somebody who shares my values followed very closely by someone who can bring needed change, not as interested in someone who cares about people like me, but maybe that's because they don't feel like any candidates care about people like them.
1: Huh. I mean, it, it is interesting because these traits, these are kinds of the kinds of traits that you would ask in an internal candidate poll about folks, but you would ask them as individual ratings, not as one question to pick. You have to pick one of these, yeah. So that is a little bit, that's different, although the fact that change is up there I think is is probably oh, we don't have a comparable question maybe i don't think there's a comparable question of of non millennials i don't know what the non millennial rating would look like here I, I probably not change probably honest and trustworthy that's my guess i don't know mm-hmm. I, i'm just hypothesizing i don't think change would be as high with non-millennials. At any rate, if we, this was an internal candidate poll, which it's not, you, you were saying, okay, how well does this describe Kristen? Do you, does it describe her very well, pretty well, not too well at all, or something like that? And you would have all these as individual questions. And then you could see, well, she's defined by this, she's not defined by that. And then you could, if you wanted to, see which of those traits actually did a, the best job of predicting whether or not you're going to vote for Kristen or for somebody else. Yep. For generic candidate Opposing Kristen. (laughs) Unnamed
0: opponent. (laughs) I'm coming for you, generic unnamed opponent. It's on. Uh, All right. Well, hey, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we will talk about what we think is going to happen with the House and how President Trump might play a role. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. And we're back. All right, let's do the week in Trump. Mr. 44.3 percent, his job approval has ticked upward yet again.
1: You know, so I was in a meeting yesterday and somebody said, oh, you know how you call Trump Mr. 40 percent? I'm like, that's nice that somebody <laughs> – I'm like, well, that's not me. But yes, that was good. Like, That was good that that remained sticky, that somebody had remembered that. Um, yeah, he's at 44 percent as of this morning, I guess. I mean, I, I cannot – People want to talk about this approval rating and how it's like ticked up to 44 and it's not 38 anymore. So therefore, something, 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 whatever people want to put after that sentence, the end of that sentence. And it kind of makes me a little nuts because look at this trend line. He has never been – he has never had good approval ratings. We're talking about an incredibly narrow band of bad ratings. (laughs) of a sitting president. I mean it is – You know, I know that this is what we have. Like, is it 38 or is it 44? That's what I would
0: much rather take 44 than 38. Sure.
1: Okay. But these are not good numbers. Okay. They're not good numbers. They've never been good. He has no crossover appeal. He hasn't tried to have any. And, you know, he is. You know, I mean, he's, you know, he is a drag on his party, obviously. So, you know, he's the reason that, the, you know, that the, um, so he's a major part of the reason that so many of these races are where they are. But
0: the irony is that so many of the Republicans who are most likely to lose are the ones who have not who have, like, tried to di- make distance themselves from him because that's the kind of district they're in. So you can already imagine the Election Day tweet storm, right, that, like oh, we lost the majority because right. people didn't stick with I me. Mean, just you like can what we talked about
1: after Gillespie. Was he not Trumpy? Was he too Trumpy or not Trumpy enough? We're just going to have that times, you know. Times of
0: Jillian. Times of um, So yeah. I actually wrote my column this week for at the Examiner. I think it's up today um, about how if this election had been held a year ago it would have been a blue tsunami like here's how bad like when everybody was like oh my god the tsunami is on the horizon and everybody started retiring and running for the exits it's because the data was really bad now it's like sort of bad it's pretty bad but it's not tsunami bad and like here's why here's what's changed in the last year and part of it is the president's job approval there are other things that have happened Um, The generic last year was like double digits constantly. And now it's like high single digits. You know, it's a little it's a little better. It may be the difference between losing 30 seats and 50 seats. Sure. Um, Which in both cases, you've lost the house. Like it doesn't it's not there are enough indicators that say maybe this isn't a a wave. Maybe it's a it's not a whimper, but it's not a wave.
1: Here's my here's my theory about how Trump plays a role in some of these House races or a center or for anybody. We don't need to make it specific about any race or any chamber. Um, It's not simply that Trump is at X or X minus three in a district. It's that you have candidates who, whatever they feel privately, may be at odds with what they say publicly, that publicly they're trying to, you know, Embrace Trump some of the time, but not all of the time, demonstrate where they're different from him, but you know, it's not on everything. They've voted for some of his policies. You know, you have obviously some candidates who are like, like DeSantis, right? Who are just, you know, they have Trump in, in their ads and they, you know, publicly embrace them all the way. But for lots of other candidates, they are unable to do that, whether the the district doesn't allow them to, or they actually don't feel that way themselves, which, you know, we know is to be true with a lot of folks in Washington. So that just makes them seem Inauthentic at a time when people crave authenticity to have Republican candidates who, you know, haven't found a truly authentic way to talk about Trump that feels true to them, that they can communicate kind of at the drop of a hat because that's really how they feel um, in a like clear, enthusiastic way, one way or the other. I think that's, you know, that's part of the reason you have some folks, you know, being damaged by all of this.
0: So there's some fascinating uh, polling from PRRI that tries to dig into Republican views on the question of Trump, Um, because sometimes, you know, the top line numbers show Trump with really high job approval among Republicans. But like, is there other stuff going on there under the surface? You know, a lot of the polling that we're talking about today was in the field before the tragic events of the weekend and the president's kind of tone deaf response, um, not to editorialize. I guess I'm the Republican. I'm. I can do that. I mean, he's a guy. I, I mean, never look. Me before
1: th- this is somebody who people don't want at their weddings or their funerals or their family. I mean, that's what we're talking about with the president. So, I mean, yeah. in
0: the PRRI poll, um, they ask. You know, they asked voters. Uh, you know, has President Trump damaged the dignity of the presidency? Sixty-nine percent. Um, has he? Did, has he encouraged white supremacist groups? Fifty-four percent say that yes. number
1: just astounds me.
0: Um, and you have a third of Republicans and Republican-leaning Independents who say they prefer the GOP nominee for president in 2020 to be someone other than Donald Trump. That's I call kind it, of a high that's, number. That's the Bill Crystal number. That's right a high number. Um, so yeah, this is these are not uh, these are not great numbers. But those other numbers were of
1: all folks. I mean, look here's yes. the other thing about that white supremacy number. So this the chart. And the number that got pulled out is just the percent that feel that he encourages, right? That's fifty-four percent that feel that he encourages. And obviously there's a big party difference there between you know between eighty three percent
0: of D's, fifteen percent of ours.
1: Huh. Yeah, not surprising, right? But look at the percent who say believe that he's discouraged white supremacist groups. There's no party difference there. 5% of Democrats and 8% of Republicans feel his behavior has discouraged white supremacists. Your own party doesn't feel that you've discouraged white supremacy. I mean, this is just an, like outrageous. Like It's just 77% mind-boggling.
0: 77% think that he's had no effect. I mean,
1: it, look, I, <laughs> the fact of the matter is you should feel— a little bit better than no effect about your president, about the uh, president of your own party. I mean, that's like, uh, obviously, I know where Democrats stand. But for Republicans to say, and we've seen this, and it's not just in the white supremacy number, it's for all kinds of numbers where Republicans will say, no effect, don't know, not sure. You have a really large, like, you know, not just as, you know, just like everybody else, like just some kind of middle of the road, don't know question no, don't know answer to these questions that put Republicans in a painful spot to say something critical of the president. So rather than saying something critical, where you're going to have some percent that will be critical of the president, obviously, of his own party, you have a large number who say, you know, maybe this is not a big deal. It's not something we need to investigate. It's just like all the other presidents. He's had no effect on white supremacy. I mean, that's where you go if you are a Republican and you're forced to ask, you know, answer a question that, you know, you don't. You can't have a full throated endorsement of the president on like you do on some of these questions. Um, it's different than um, what I think you see sometimes in the media. This sense that like, oh, tr- his base loves it. Republicans love it when he does X, Y, and Z. This is a huge part of his base. It's not an insignificant part of his base. But there's a large part of his base that just you know is. This is an example. Like, doesn't actually feel all the way where the president imagines himself to be. Yep.
0: Well, let's let's talk just real quickly about the generic. Um, we still have D plus uh, 7.6 in the generic ballot average, according to Real Clear Politics, which, again, is very good for Democrats. It's not quite the D plus 15 you had in t- 2006 when Democrats just whooshed and took <laughs> – that's the scientific term for it uh, – and took tons of Republicans out. Um, but when you look at the Cook Political Report ratings, I mean, you start off with – let me make sure I've got these numbers right. It'll, I think it was 17 seats that are Republican that are in the lean or likely Democratic column. One, two, three, four. I wish I had my song. If I had my song, I would <laughs> know this. Um Yes, it's 17 seats in likely or lean Democratic. So like if you just assume those are gone, that's almost the majority gone right there. Then you have 28 Republicans who are in toss-up seats. And I think it was Amy Walter who uh, she mentioned this at a Council on Foreign Relations event um, earlier this week where she said, look, the toss-up races don't usually break 50-50. They usually break 60-40. But even if they break 60-40, I mean, that's that's enough, right there. Mm-hmm. That's the ball game. Mm-hmm. Even if Republicans win sixty percent of them, if Republicans lose forty percent of those toss-up seats, that's five to six of them. Or pardon me, not five to six. I mean, that's that's like that's. It is so. It, the the odds that you will only get it – pardon me five – to, five to six of them is what they would need in order to get the majority if you counted the other f- um, 17 is gone. Uh, plus you've got like a weird smattering of – I guess you've got these blue seats that they think are going to flip. So that changes the math a little too. But it, I mean it's – it is so hard to imagine a path to Republicans keeping the majority, which is not to say it's impossible.
1: There are a lot more paths. For Democrats than there are for. Republicans.
0: There were a lot That's more paths for say. Hillary Clinton to the presidency than Donald Trump, though. So yep. I, I come to this conversation chastened, yep. uh, and not wanting to be like overconfident. And but it's just the math is so hard. But look, we're not
1: even really looking. I mean, we're looking at ratings here, but it's all—it's not just. And there are folks who are you know who do handicapping all day long that you know will that you guys can can see the nitty gritty on each of these house races, which we're not gonna delve into, but it's not just about polling averages for this stuff, it's also about you know where all the open seats are, and that a lot of these seats you know quite a few of these seats have voted democratic in the past for a presidential candidate, so it's um So it's not simply about looking at, you know, what the upshot had. It's about, you know, what the dynamics of the districts are. You also don't forget, and we've talked about this a lot, lots of really strong top tier Democratic recruits um, in some of these places. And in some of them, you have Republicans who have never had a tough challenge um, or haven't had a run in a battleground wave year before. So you know that that's something that's different, and you and in some places you have the Democrats who are have outraised their Republican opponent, and, th- and that matters too. So all of that stuff goes into some of these ratings. It's not simply looking at a polling average, which I can appreciate that people are saying, you know, well, the, you know, we're we're relying too much on the upshot, or you know, polls in congressional districts are X, Y, and Z, or what have you. Um, It's not simply about polling. It's about some of the atmospherics in some of these districts, again, reinforce the sense that there are more paths for Democrats than for Republicans.
0: And while the Senate looks good for Republicans, I think it's important to note that there's been a lot of polling that's come out in just the last couple of days. I mean, a bunch of polls that were conducted uh, coming out of the field within the last week um, on the Senate side that show pretty good news for Democrats there. So... Uh, Nevada, for instance. Heller for a while had seemed like he might be this like great like survivor. Um, But you've had multiple polls now come out showing Rosen up by three there. Uh, McSally, there's a whole bunch of races that are are polls that have come out in that race that show Cinema up by three to four. Uh, Only one poll. uh, Ipsos uh, briefly showed McSally up by two among likely voters. Where cinema was up among adults, I'm curious why they released both. Like, why at the stage in the game would you release adults? But nonetheless, uh, some polling showing Nelson up. Um, he has improved his standing among likely voters. He actually does better than among all adults. Uh, so you know, there has been a in addition to the House already being real problems for Republicans. There's the the public polling on the Senate diverges with what I hear. Kind of on background from folks on the Republican side, which is a great deal of optimism about the Senate side and polls that trended in the right direction behind the scenes. Um, So really unclear and hence why in addition to just not wanting to step in it like two years ago, like I'm super – when people say, what's your prediction? Like I'm just hesitant to answer that because there's just – so many people are so tuned in, turnout's going to be so high, you have no idea what's going to happen.
1: Right, right. I mean, the difference between the House dynamic and the Senate dynamic is that you have, uh, you know, House seats that, uh, you know, you have changing districts, Republicans who haven't run in tough battleground, you know, years before, um, really top-notch Democratic candidates, increasing turnout, perhaps with the Latino population. We talked about that last week with Ali. On the Senate side, the Democrats in those red states... You know, it's no surprise to them that they are running in states that have that often vote, usually vote Republican. That's not a surprise to Donnelly or McCaskill or Manchin or the other folks. I mean, that's that is not a new dynamic for them. For some of the House races, it's a little bit new. You know, I think there are some Republicans on this list who are surprised to find themselves in this battle. Maybe not surprised at this moment, but were surprised earlier in the year to find themselves in a place where they had, you know, five primary, you know, five Democrats. Democrats in the primary running, you know, lining up to run against them. So um, so, so that's a little bit of a difference between the House and the Senate. We'll see what happens um, on Election Day and what happens if we have a split decision, what happens if both chambers go in the same way, how will voters feel about those outcomes.
0: Uh, The last thing that I think we should talk about in terms of the midterms is gender gap, which we've we've touched on like every show. But there is some interesting new data um, that uh, the Upshot has pulled together about people's views on the economy. Uh, The share of adults that say the economy is good or excellent. If you're looking for good news on the Republican side, part of the good news piece package is that Trump gets reasonably good ratings on the economy. The economy is doing better. Uh, And so what are people's perceptions of that? And what it shows is that men are much more likely than women to think the economy is doing well. But you can't just attribute it to party because even when you break things out by party within the Democratic Party, women are more pessimistic about the economy than men are. Within the Republican Party, women are more pessimistic about the economy than men are. So an interesting potential fuel for the gender gap might not just be you know, dis, distaste for the president's comments or what have you, but also different perceptions of the economy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought this was really interesting. When I started to read the story, I was like, oh, you better have party differences. Otherwise, I'm going to be mad about this because party makes up such a big, is such a big driver of how people view the economy, even about your own personal economic situation. And there are such, you know, long, existing party differences between the two genders that you it, you can't just look at one and forget that the other thing exists right so um, so but then of course they split it up um, and had not just where people are currently by gender and by party but what it's been like for the last decade or so a little bit over a decade and so this is fairly recent I mean it, it was a little bit different um in 2006 to 2008 but since then this has been fairly um a recent phenomenon a Trump phenomenon where women feel you know less less optimistic about the economy compared to men of their own same party um so that's you know i i think that's quite a striking finding um and that's true regardless of how they've, you know, that's true regardless of party. And um, y- you do see some interesting cross steps. I also looked at this by people who approve of the president's overall performance or not, um, which I think is pretty interesting. But e- either way, men feeling, you know, more optimistic about the economy is, is quite something. Perhaps it's because women feel sort of left out of the conversation that Trump leads. Is it because women feel more activated and mobilized politically? Is it for some economic reason that doesn't have anything to do with Trump, I, you know, I don't, I don't know the answer to that.
0: Well, or is it is it all of the above? Uh, and I think that's I mean, there's a there's just so many different things at play in this election. That is that is why I'm hesitant to make any sort of firm prediction beyond. I think it's pretty darn likely Republicans are going to lose the House. I think That's that's pretty likely. Everything else, though, I don't know. And I don't know how by how much all of that. Um, okay, last but not least, it's Halloween. Happy Halloween everybody. Yes, well, when you're listening to this,
1: it's gonna be After Halloween, but it'll, Halloween is a great it'll be also it is great. it is a great holiday.
0: so the, the it is
1: probably my favorite. Is, is the, it? It might be. I mean, not that it's my favorite that I spend a month, like, sewing something or whatever. It's not my favorite. And, you know, <laughs> I, as I went to, took my kids to, the, like, the town, I'm sure Richard knows this well, Tacoma Park, like, really gets into Halloween. And we have, um, you know, this, like, big Halloween, like, all the kids from the neighborhood come and do this thing. And uh, and they give out prizes every year for all kinds of different categories. And I was joking with the other moms, like, like, at what point do I need to tell – my children, like I am never gonna be the mom who can like help you win the prize in the town, the town's Halloween costume. You're gonna have to like totally figure out how to make that yourself. Like, <laughs> I cannot. That's just beyond my capability. But I love the spirit of Halloween, both for adults and for kids. It is just fantastic. I love and Tacoma Park lots of politically themed Halloween costumes for the grown-ups even for the kids there's lots of like parents is secret service for your kid there's always like five That's of those great. there was one where like the kid was was muller and the parents were like you know, Cohen and Manafort or something. Lie. I feel
0: bad for that child. Like, just let your kid be Spider-Man. Don't make them be Robert Mueller, for the love of God, but America. You can do it
1: when the kids are, like, under three, and they're just like, <sighs> I am in a thing. They're like, they don't know what's happening. I mean, there was one where, like, the it was like a girl who must have been, like, seven or eight. This was last year, and she was wearing a white pantsuit, and the parents were a the Secret Service. That was a good one. <laughs> Still kind of, like, gets me there. Um, yeah, people really people really get into it. I see
0: I, and I don't have a Halloween costume this year. I didn't have one last year cuz I was traveling for business on Halloween. And the year before that, I think I was one of like a, a professor at Harry like at Hogwarts cuz sure. when kids would come trick-or-treating we had like the Harry Potter music blasting yep. out the front of the house. But this year, yeah, I don't I mean I guess I could just go fish the Harry Potter robe back out and like do that again. I also need to go buy candy when we leave here, so that yeah. I have something to give yeah, to children, to it, so that yeah. I'm not the terrible. Just, just giving out pennies, yeah. No, I went. Um, I, mean, that would, be, I so, would just not open the door. Honestly. So I at
1: that point, like <laughs> start throwing change and all your possessions at the kids. No, uh, last last, so the, we had the like the grown ups Halloween party this past weekend, and I I dressed in like one of my more. Like preppy outfits, and I was, a, and I had a resistance band, and I was a suburban mom as part of the resistance. That was my costume. <laughs> <laughs> Very creative. Yeah, it was not, it was a little, you know, last minute, but I was still pleased. The resistance band, that was really
0: what tied it all together. I, I need, what I need to do is just keep like a little document on my phone in the notes folder yeah. so that in March when I have a great idea for a Halloween costume I can write it down so I don't get to like a week out from Halloween and I'm googling like Ray from Star Wars costumes on Etsy and then right. being like uh, I don't know if I like any of these uh, that's like 80 bucks Yeah. Uh, I'm not, no, okay uh, and then I go for Halloween as upholster so, <laughs> <laughs> <yay. laughs>
1: you can go as an upholsterer an upholsterer <laughs>
0: All right. Okay. So number one Halloween costumes around the country. We haven't even talked about this yet. I, no. I had the whole setup and then we, we got sidetracked. Yes. Uh, so they tracked Google search trends for people Googling like blank costume, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and in almost every state in the country, the number one thing is Fortnite. Hmm. Some some states that did not have Fortnite as number one, Alaska Mermaid was number one. Interesting choice given the huh. climate. Uh, Arkansas, really into dinosaurs. Um, Fortnite, 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 Fortnite. DC, really into Spider Man, though. So if you're in DC, you probably see a lot of them. Fortnite, Fortnite, Fortnite. Ooh, Idaho, super into unicorns. Um, Fortnite, 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 Fortnite. Like, guys, every state in the union. Maine, Fortnite, Maryland, Fortnite, Massachusetts, Fortnite, Michigan, Fortnite. Wow. Minnesota, Fortnite, Mississippi, Fortnite, Missouri, Fortnite. Give me <laughs> a state that's not Fortnite, Montana, Now, Fortnite. is this so – I oh, wonder – Oh, God. I mean, I guess
1: – I wonder how much is skewed by, like, the kids being able to Google as opposed to, like, the parent – like, you know, my kids are not Googling costumes. I'm making executive decisions for them. But I guess – Maybe that doesn't matter. I guess it's always Fortnite. I guess it's just Fortnite for everybody.
0: I have never played Fortnite. I'm also not a 14-year-old boy, but that has never stopped me from playing video games before. But, like, Fortnite's yeah. one of those ones where I've not. I should have asked Scott Tranter when he was here taping with us because oh, I, yes. think, I, think, I think he plays Fortnite. I got to ask him. Hmm. How many women in their mid thirties are playing Fortnite? Probably not
1: many. I mean, what you could do if you wanted before. to is there is a like a thing to help teach little kids how to code, and you can play, a, you know, to code a game. But the game is probably less complicated than Fortnite. It's just like there's an apple in the corner, you know, <laughs> <laughs> this cat is gonna eat it, and the game is over. Like that's kind of you know pretty much it. But um, but anyway, that's an. Uh, no one would want to be any of those things for Halloween yeah. I can tell you that
0: hey we, uh, Richard we need to put Fortnite in the episode title for s- SEO uh, purposes yes oh, yeah. <laughs> we can get a whole bunch of 14 year olds to listen to our show yes uh, I think that would be better welcome uh, hello so be fa- how do you supremacy. do yes. fellow kids how do you
1: do <laughs> they have not made it th- if they're making it this far like when is the Fortnite part happening this is so boring <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so Margie what did we learn this week okay We
1: know you're all voting, but have you done all the GOTV that you can do? Are you going anywhere this weekend? Have you signed up? You can make calls. You don't have to live in a swing area. You can call places from your house. You should do that. Um, And also get your candy ready. Hoard all your candy. Don't give it all away or steal some of your children's or ask. Say you're going to trade it in for a toy, but then hold on to it. No judgment. Because you will need it for some stress eating next
0: Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at@, at the Polsters individually at@, at Margio and at K. Soltis Anderson or at www.thepolsters.com and come join the conversation over on our Facebook page where we post links to the stories we want to talk about that week. Thanks, bye!